0: This morning's scripture reading will be taken through 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. It is a good Lord's Day, first day of the week. We gather every first day of the week because Christ rose on this day, and we think about that now. This week, oftentimes when Passover week comes, I I look up the sky, especially this Wednesday night, and I see the full moon. And I can't help but think about Christ in the garden and His prayers there. And because of that, I think we should have no reservation at this time of the year and know what it is historically to think about the resurrection of Christ. Not because someone says that it's Easter, but because the Scriptures tell us that Christ rose on the first day of the week. And we know that He did this and then He died during the Passover. He is our Passover Lamb, the Scriptures say, 1 Corinthians chapter. 5. This morning we look at the subject of the resurrection. We look at the hope that it should give us, the encouragement for us. How through the resurrection we have the forgiveness of sins, that we have justification, that we can stand before God right on the day of judgment, that we ourselves can have the hope of being transformed on the final day. In fact, it's scripture in the quote I have right here, for in this hope we were saved. This is what we see when we open our Bibles. As we had read from the table this morning from Mark chapter 16, we see the women coming to an empty tomb. And after that event, the evening after Jesus' tomb was found empty, the disciples had locked themselves in the upper room. And then Jesus came and He stood before them. And some have said maybe walked through a wall because He had been resurrected and His body had taken on life. Some have picture Him, as I do, that He just appeared there before them because He could do that. And He says to His disciples, peace to you. And there the disciples were frightened, and they were thinking that Jesus was a spirit. So here we have this this time period. Here it is the first day of the week after Jesus had died. And that day they found the empty tomb. Mary has seen them. The two on the road to Emmaus have seen Jesus alive. And now he appears to his disciples. And listen to what Jesus says. And here we get the nature of the resurrection. Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. That is, I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And Jesus rose from the de- rose from the dead. He did not rise as a spirit. It wasn't a feeling inside that they had. It wasn't some kind of special epiphany or encounter that they said, well, Jesus died and He was righteous, that He certainly is still alive and He is with God in heaven and maybe His Spirit will come to see us. That's not what happened. What happened was the angel rolled away the stone from the tomb and Jesus took up His body. That mortal body had been given life. It had been transformed. And yet here He says He was still flesh and bone. He was not... He was not a spirit. In fact, we look at the Scriptures, and I think it's very important. We think about the first day of the week, and I think about this, and seven weeks from now will be the day of Pentecost. The church started on the first day of the week. And I think about the sermon that Peter preached then, and the things that he taught. See, our faith is not simply based upon just believing without any kind of evidence. The fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, it is a, an evidence of things not seen. That there is truth there. And the first gospel sermon that was preached that established the church was called an, was an apologetic lesson. It was the defense of the resurrection that Peter proclaimed there. And he gave evidence. And he said, this is how we know that Jesus rose from the dead. And this is why you should believe. In fact, when Christ first came to the disciples and the men from Emmaus and Mary had told them that Jesus had risen from the dead and they didn't believe, He rebuked them for not believing, because they had the witnesses, and they had the evidence, and they had enough to believe. They had Jesus telling them, I'm going to rise on the third day, and yet they resisted. Jesus' resurrection is essential. It is essential for us, and it is essential evidence for the faith. Jesus presented himself alive, it says in Acts 1 and verse 3, by many proofs. I don't want to look here. When you go to Acts chapter 2, and you open your Bible, when you read this, we see these from Peter's sermon. Peter says, yes, you hear us speaking in different languages. This was prophesied in Joel 2, and he immediately goes, and he starts talking about the Scriptures. He goes to Psalm 16 and verse 10, where David says there in prophecy that my body will not see corruption. My body will not decay. And Peter says, how can David say that? Because David there was prophesying of the Messiah. And here." Peter says the same thing. He says, you look at these prophecies, look at the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. You can look at Isaiah 53, see the prophecies that Jesus would rise from the dead. We see this as well. Peter is preaching on that day, and he says, we all know where David's tomb is. We know where David's body is. We know that it is in the tomb, but no one knows where Jesus' body is. We know where his tomb is, but his tomb is found empty. And he begins to explain, And he tells them that various ones, especially those right there, the apostles, are witnesses. We've seen Jesus risen from the dead. Various people saw Jesus risen from the dead. Paul will give an account in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that over 500 people at one time have seen Jesus bodily risen from the dead. He was risen, and for 40 days he lived and he taught and he was with his disciples. I think it's good also to note that today that evidence for the resurrection is not lost. It still stands. Critical scholars today, those who critique the Bible, there are things that they admit about the Bible, and I think sometimes maybe they don't put all the evidence together, everything they admit about the historicity of Jesus' death and the events that took place after this. But this is what they do admit about the empty tomb. They admit that it's most probable that Joseph of Arimathea existed. We read the Bible, we believe it, of course we accept that, but if you're a critic, you're going to question it. They say Joseph of Arimathea, somebody would not make up that man and that he buried Jesus. They also say that women found Jesus' tomb empty, that someone would not make up those kind of details. As Josephus said, that uh, women are not the preferred witness for court and for trial. You would not want these witnesses first, or you wouldn't want women witnesses unless it was genuine that they were there first. If you were gonna make this up and invent it, you would have certain men getting together and corroborating what they saw so they could stand before the court, and the apostles will stand before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, as we see in the book of Acts. We see this as well. At the end in, of Matthew, in the gospel there, Matthew 28, we have the Jews trying to explain, even up to Matthew's time when he wrote this gospel, trying to explain the empty tomb, that it was sealed and that it was guarded. One of the most fascinating things to me from archaeology is that there's an inscription on a tomb written in Greek in Nazareth, and it's an order from Caesar against anybody who would unseal a tomb or take out the body. And that he had made a law against that. And this came about, and it, that law would have come about about A.D. 40. So it's very fascinating to me as I look at this evidence here. Joseph Arimathea buried Jesus' body. The women found Jesus' tomb empty. Even the critics admit this. The Jews had tried to explain away the empty tomb, and they note that it was guarded by soldiers. What do you do with that information? The best answer, the most probable, the best explanation, again, the evidence is Jesus rose from the dead. And then we see a little bit more about the evidence for Jesus rising. James and Jesus' brothers disbelieved him, as we see from the Scriptures. But when he was risen from the dead, they came to believe. How does someone who doesn't believe suddenly come to believe. And James here, in being in opposition to Jesus, we read about him being there in the upper room in, in Jesus' brothers in Acts chapter 1, believing that Jesus had risen from the dead. Number two, he wrote half the Bible. Saul was persecuting and murdering those in the church and on the road to Damascus. He saw Jesus risen from the dead. Saw Him bodily. Not simply just a vision. Not simply that he he saw a a light or that he had saw, seen a spirit, but he saw Jesus risen from the dead and that event converted him. How do you explain that? The only way is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And then again, critical scholars also admit this, not just James and Paul, but that various people experienced Jesus alive from the dead. There's no psychosis today from secular psy- psychology that can explain these things. There's no other way to put it simply, but the most probable and the best explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead. I want you to know this morning, the evidence from the church was started was from the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Today, the evidence still stands. Jesus rose from the dead. And it's because of this, we have a hope of salvation. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning. It is the confirmation of the resurrection to eternal life. You look forward to eternal life is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that we have that hope. That we have the hope that one day if I die in this life that I go home to be with Christ. Philippians 1 and verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 4 tells us that. But that's not the end of it. There's going to become a day of judgment. And on that day, Jesus says, Jesus says in John chapter 5 verses 28 and 29, John 5, 28 and 29. He says, the dead will come out of their tomb, the just and the unjust to judgment. There will be... A resurrection. Bodies will rise and come to judgment. And we read about this. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 about that hope. You've read some of these scriptures. I think we have a track out here. And on the track, it lists things the Bible says that saves you. And one of the things on that list is hope. Hope of what? This is the hope right here. Romans 8:23 and 24. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit. Grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. What adoption are they waiting for? They're waiting for the resurrection. In the context, that's where their hope is. He says the redemption of our bodies. And the Bible says in Romans eight and verse eleven that our mortal bodies will be raised up and be given life. Saint Corinthians chapter five says that our bodies that are raised will put on immortality. They will become imperishable, and God will change us and it starts with Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed today, the first day of the week, and to think about Christ's resurrection all 52 days of the first day of the week, that he rose, that my hope is in the fact that Christ rose from the dead, that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. He was the first to rise like he did. Yes, I know there are others that Jesus rose from the dead, the widow's son, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus. They didn't rise like Jesus did. They didn't rise to eternal life and become imperishable. They would die again. Christ rose in a different way. And so the hope that we have is right here, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. That's what Paul says. That's why Christ had to rise from the dead. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you would still be in your sins. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you would not stand just and right before him. And sometimes our focus is simply Jesus died on the cross. He saved me, and that's all there is to it. But the cross is empty if the tomb is not empty. The fact that Jesus had to rise from the dead, that makes a difference. When he died, he didn't simply die to to make an, an ultimate sacrifice for us so that we can simply Look at Jesus and say, Jesus died on the cross and his spirit and went into heaven, and that's the end of it. No, he rose from the dead, so we had hope in that resurrection. It could have been, I mean, I guess someone could say it's possibly that Jesus just simply died and his spirit going into heaven, and now we all have hope that when we die, our spirits go to heaven. But there's more to it than that. He rose from the dead, and the Bible says that is the first fruits. Our reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bible, Let's take that out. We're going to look at this passage here. I want to see, in Paul's words, how essential the resurrection is. It's essential to our faith. It's essential to our theology. It encapsulates the gospel, which is the death, the burial, and resurrection. You can't rise unless you'd already died. But I want you to listen to what Paul says here. 1 Corinthians 15 is called the resurrection chapter. I encourage you to find 1 Corinthians 15 and read with me here. We're going to make some observations about the text. I'm going to go on and give them to you right now before I read and see if you see the same thing. Some in the church at Corinth claimed that there was no resurrection of the dead. That doesn't mean that they didn't believe in an afterlife. Most Greeks and Romans believed in an afterlife. There are a few that didn't. Some simply said you died and that was it, the Epicureans. But most of them believed, Platonic philosophers, the idea was that when you died, your spirit left your body. That was great. And they hated the concept and rejected the concept of the resurrection. And here in Corinth, here they are near Athens, and you remember how Paul came to Corinth? He preached in Athens in the Areopagus. He preached the resurrection, and some people mocked it. They didn't like the idea of it. And then from Athens he goes and starts the church in Corinth. And the church is founded on the gospel, the death, the burial, resurrection of Christ. This morning, our reading that Mark read from us for 1 Corinthians 15 is the beginning of this section of Scripture. That is the gospel. And Paul gives the defense of it here. So some in the church at Corinth claim there was no resurrection of the dead. And Paul was simply, he, he didn't just simply take a step back and say, well, that's okay. You can believe what you want about the resurrection. As long as you believe there's an afterlife in heaven, you're fine. No, he makes a big deal about this. Paul confirmed that rejecting the resurrection, that final resurrection when we all rise from the dead, that when you reject that, you reject Jesus's resurrection. He said, if Jesus did not die, then preaching is vain, and those proclaiming Christ as risen are misrepresenting God. And that if Christ did not rise, then faith is futile, and everyone is still in their sins. You see, the resurrection of Christ is essential. It's part of your hope of eternal life. It's the way that we interpret and understand the rest of our life and what Christ has given to us, the hope of salvation. Read with me here and see if you see the same thing. Paul says this, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How can some of you say there's no final resurrection? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who had fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul preaches here. He proclaims here in 1 Corinthians 15 the gospel. This is what I told you before, according to the Scriptures, that Christ died and He was buried and He rose again. And He gave these reasons here that you need to believe in the resurrection, much more than just simply believing in a blissful afterlife. Resurrection is essential. Jesus' resurrection, again, is essential for our forgiveness and for our justification. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. It's essential to your salvation and your faith Oftentimes, when we think about our confession of faith, our confession and salvation before we're baptized, we may think, oh, I confess Jesus is the Christ. I confess him as the Son of God. And that's good. The Bible teaches that. But when you confess that Christ, and you confess that he is the Son of God, you must be confessing that he rose from the dead, bodily rose from the dead, not a spirit, not an epiphany, not a ghost, not some kind of dream that he bodily rose from the dead. This is what Paul said in Romans 10, 8 through 10. The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Yes, I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he's my savior and he died for me. I also confess that he rose from the dead. I read about a few weeks ago, I follow some websites on Facebook. And one of the websites that has has atheists come on there, Muslims, and they're all conversing and talking about lots of things. And an atheist said, Can you be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection? And the statement and response over and over again by those that believed is, No, you couldn't. The scriptures teach us. Then you must believe that Christ rose from the dead. In fact, the Bible tells us that He is the first fruit. No one rose like Christ until He did. He rose immortal and perishable, glorious, heavenly. In 1 Corinthians 15 20 to 23, we see this about Jesus being the beginning of the resurrection. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, he says, the fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is the firstfruits. He is the beginning. For as by a man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all died. Now, in this sense, Adam sinned. We all died. We understand that. We all have death, spiritual death, so that we need salvation. So also Christ, so also in Christ, shall all be made alive. Notice there shall in the future will all be made alive but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then in his coming, those who belong to Christ. When Christ rose from the dead, it was the beginning of his promise and the blessing from God to us that one day we will rise, that we will go into eternal life. Before we finish this morning, I want to add to the fact that the church exists today because of the resurrection. I've spoken about this before The church didn't start because a bunch of men locked in an upper room were sitting around saying, you know, I have a feeling that Jesus is still alive somewhere. They weren't sitting around saying, you know, I had an epiphany that Jesus certainly went to heaven. they weren't sitting around saying, well, I saw Jesus' spirit. I saw the breath leave his body and I assume that he still lives on. That wasn't what started the church. What started the church is those men saw Jesus in the flesh, as we read from the very beginning. They saw him flesh and bone, and they felt his body and the marks in his hands and the scars in, in his side. That's what they, they experienced in John chapter 20. And that's what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. He preached there a sermon of evidence Jesus rose from the dead. Scholars recognize they, even critical scholars, that the earliest tradition in the Bible, the first, the beginning teaching of the church is recorded in First Corinthians 15, 3-5. And you've heard me quote it over and over again, the gospels, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. This is of first importance. It's according to Scripture, as Paul says here. And he goes on there to give a record of the witnesses of those who saw Jesus risen from the dead. It was the message from the very beginning that started the church. And that should give us faith and strength that the church cannot start any other way than that Jesus rose from the dead. The fact the church exists today shows us that Christ rose from the dead. I encourage you this morning, at this time of the year, no matter what your beliefs are regarding Easter, Passover, first day of the week, you can't deny this is a good time of the year to evangelize. People are more likely to come into the church to consider faith, to hear the gospel. I want to give you multiple reasons about the importance of resurrection to evangelism. In fact, I encourage you to start with the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Number one, Jesus' resurrection implies his death and burial. That forms the gospel message, 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus' resurrection is essential to salvation. Why? Because you got to believe in it. you got to confess it. It compels us to repent. It's a part of our baptism. When we rise out, we rise from baptism into the newness of life, that's when we are saved. That's in Romans chapter 6. It's in Colossians 2. It's throughout the scriptures. Start with the resurrection. The apostle Peter did, Paul did in Acts chapter 13 as well. Number three, prophecies of the Messiah include the resurrection that Jesus would rise from the dead. You want to show someone, here's predictions of the Bible. They were fulfilled. Believe. Number four, eyewitness evidence of Jesus' resurrection is the message of faith. We believe because others saw him risen from the dead. Number five, Jesus' resurrection started the church, as we've already discussed. And we can go into discussion. Christ built his church. He made it and formed in a very specific way. And then number six, the hope of our eternal life is in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Everything we teach and we believe centers around this fact. I encourage you this morning, hear the gospel, believe it, confess that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you're here and you have been baptized, repent of your sins, be baptized in the Christ, be buried with him, buried with him and rise up into the newness of life. Beginning of our study this morning, we looked at Jesus and he came to his disciples locked in the upper room. They saw the scars and felt them in his hands and his feet and his side. And Jesus ate fish with them. And following that, Christ revealed this, Luke 24, 46-48. Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And so Christ sent out his apostles. I encourage you this morning how to start again. If you believe Jesus rose... And you must believe that the faithful will rise on the last day, 1 Corinthians 15, 53. The Spirit raised Christ and will raise mortal bodies of the faithful, too. Romans 8 and verse 11, of course, he will transform those mortal bodies into life. And this message this morning can change you. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. It should drive you to live a holy and a pure life, a life that loves Christ for what he did for you. He died for you. He was buried. And he rose again. This morning, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, do it. The resurrection encapsulates the death, the burial and resurrection of Christ. Paul said this in Romans 6, 4 through 5. We were buried therefore with him by baptism. Baptism is a burial into death. In order that just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united in a resurrection like his. That's our hope. This morning, if you want to obey the gospel, do it. If you've fallen away and you've left the faith, I encourage you to come back. Let us pray with you and encourage you. Whatever your needs may be this morning, you can come forward and we'll pray with you. We encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.